The financial dads are not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, tax or other advice in or by virtue of this podcast. Hello, welcome to the Financial Dads Podcast with Paul Fagan and Paul Becker. This podcast is for all the moms and dads out there who struggle with life's topics, especially related to family and finances. Now here's my dad, Paul Fagan. Hey Paul, how you doing today? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for asking. How are you today? Uh, doing fantastic. Um, it's been busy. Uh, last weekend I had a high school gathering. It was interesting to see some new faces that we hadn't seen in the past that showed up this time. I don't know if it was COVID, um, people beyond COVID trying to get out and about, but we had a couple of new people that joined us. So it was fun to see people from all different walks of life, people we haven't caught up with in decades now uh, showing up. So it was a lot of fun. Um, and then this week also, I, I did something um, you know I haven't done in a while and I probably should do better at it is I used to, um, I've talked about it on the show is paying yourself first. So I actually paid myself this week from my paycheck when it came through, um, electronically transferred it to another account to kind of take it out of my purview. Um, I'm, I have to do that more often. Um, people can listen back to the pay yourself first episode. And then one thing that sort of irked me this morning, which um, I was at the gym and I, I witnessed this lady open her door into my car. Mm. And, you know, I'm not a car fanatic but i take a common sense courtesy approach to other people's cars right and i really held back you know i just kind of politely or sternly said you know do you really have to open your car door into my car and the person she didn't even apologize she just like well i did it softly you know (sighs) all right so i vented (laughs) hopefully she's listening to the show i know but um but paul how was your week it, it was good. Um, I started reading a new financial book, which I, I think I'll get into at some point once I finish it. But it's very fascinating. It's a, it's all around how the Federal Reserve was put together and how it works, and the really the entire global monetary system. It's called um, I think the Monster from Jekyll Island. So a very interesting read. But we'll we'll get there at some other point. Cool, cool. Well, today's podcast is with Chris Larson. We're going to talk to him about balancing family and business, as well as asking the right financial questions. But first, let's talk about some news we saw this past week. So this news story, Paul, you had forwarded on to me. Um, It was from Barron's. Uh, Cash buckets are earning their keep as markets slide. Just don't hold too much in it. Um, Always an interesting question. How much cash is too much cash? Um, You know, I think the rule of thumb that one of my, um, one of my, um, I don't want to say mentor, but I'm a, f- a big fan of Dave Ramsey. We've talked about him on the show before, you know, having that six to eight months or, you know, three to six months emergency fund. Um, I, I like to go a little higher than that if you can. Um, in reality, um, you know, I, I love to keep as much cash available as possible, but I understand their point in terms of, um, you know, you want the money to be in the market given inflationary rates, you know, the way inflation's going and such. Um, but for me, I think in short, you know, I always say, uh, you know, I love the cash and, and, and there can never be too much of it around to make me uh, comfortable. Um, Paul, what was your take on this article? So uh, a few things here. One, it, it was interesting because he's a uh, civil engineer as well, or was trained in school as a civil engineer. So I saw that and talking about cash buckets. I, I actually sent this article to my parents. You know, my mom loves 
would rather the money underneath the mattress, let alone the bank. And my dad's like, no, we got to get the money working for us. So, so it was very funny to send it to them because this gentleman's, you know, around my dad's age, an engineer as well by training and, and doing that. Um, it was a great discussion with my parents about it. In fact, uh, my dad's like, what was that other episode you did? So I had to send him some more episodes to go listen to, which was kind oh, of fun. Oh, that's so, awesome. I'll tell your but, dad we said hello. Yeah, right. But but cash is it's it's tough. It's it's a it's a mental safety net for all of us. But yet when you have inflation, especially the way it's been over the past few months, it's actually you're you're making negative money. So it, it is a difficult balance. No, agreed. Agreed. And I think once again it's personal, personal finance, so people will, will, will have their threshold of what they could tolerate and that's what they'll keep on the sidelines. So I think that's that's how it'll go. But I think with that, we'll, we'll jump in. We'd now like to welcome pod, uh, to the podcast, Chris Larson. Chris is the founder and managing partner of Next Level Income. Chris's primary focus is to help professionals, doctors, and entrepreneurs build a plan for financial independence through education and investment opportunities. Um, after a career in, medical in the medical device industry, first as a sales rep and then as a manager, Chris now helps others develop a plan and learn from his mistakes to achieve true financial freedom uh, to live the life of their dreams. Chris, welcome to the show. Paul, Paul, great to be here today. Yeah, thank you for joining us. And, and I said in the title, right, of the podcast that we'd be talking about um, balancing family and business as well as asking the right financial questions. But as I said before we started taping, I started looking at your background, Chris, and we're going to be all over the place. So I'm just warning the listeners, right, that you, there, you've done so many cool things. When I read your bio and dug into LinkedIn and, you know, we try to do a, a level of research for each and every episode. And it was fascinating all the different things that we could talk about. I think there's probably six podcasts here at some point, but we won't hold you to that. <laughs> but we'll try to dig into what we uh, what we've seen. And we have some interesting questions for you. But we usually start with tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey. Yeah, well, geez, just in your intro, guys, um, or the you know the news story and some of the stuff that you guys had uh, discuss in discussion this week. I think we got plenty of stuff to talk about there, and I got a secret about how you can have your cash and and have access to it and keep it working. I think we could talk about that. But um, I started. I have an engineering degree. Um, you're talking about the uh, article, Paul, um, from the engineer. But my true passion when I was in college was racing bicycles, and I raced um, through high school into college, and that's that's what I wanted to do. I knew two weeks in I didn't want to be an engineer. I wanted to um, just continue to race bikes, become a professional cyclist. But as I talk about in my book, which by the way, if you're listening today, a lot of the stuff I talk about, including my background, um, I outline in here. It's uh, Next Level Income. You can get a free copy at nextlevelincome.com. Just click on the book link, and I'll even send you a copy if you're listening today, if you're in the US or Canada, if you put your address in. Um, but racing my bike, going to college, um, in between my freshman and my sophomore years, my best friend passed away. He had a massive brain hemorrhage, died. Mm -hmm there. Um, and I went back to school. I raced for another year, but that following summer I'm, I'm riding around. I was actually, I actually won a race and I came across the finish line and I should have been thrilled, but I felt nothing. And I thought, is this really what I'm meant to do? And I just sent the email out to my coaching clients this morning as I do every Saturday morning. And I had five questions to really make it a big summer because we're going into the Memorial day weekend as we, as we record this and 
you know, one of them was, are you living, like, what are you doing to live your biggest life? Like what's God's plan? What's the universe's plan for you? And I realized at that moment that I was not living the, you know, the life that I was meant to live, um, that God put me on earth to do with all the talents that we had. And I also realized that my friend wasn't here to, to live anymore, to, to share his talents and, and what he could do with the world. So I, I said, you know what, I'm not gonna have any regrets. I'm gonna live my life not only to honor the life that I've been given, but also the life that my friend Chris didn't have anymore. And as, as you all talk about, you know, one of the realities, whether you want to admit it or not, is you have to have money in this world to live your best life. And that's what's really driven me to get to uh, financial independence. And that's what drives me to help others do that. So ultimately they can live their best lives as well. That's great. I mean, I think that, sorry for your loss. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things I did read that as part of your bio and, and, and thanks for telling us that story and opening up on it. Um, which I, I'm not going to say this, there's never, I don't know if it's, it's not a silver lining that's I'm searching for the right words, but you know, you've been able to retire at 38. Right. And, 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 and I know you're kind of working to, cause you enjoy it at this point, right? You're yeah. beyond, you know, at, you're at the point where you said, okay, I like, I love what I'm doing now. I get to do that now. Right. Which is great. How does it feel to be retired at 38 and, and how can you tell us a little bit more about that journey? Yeah. So I think, you know, it's interesting and I, I love and hate Dave Ramsey, so we can get into, get into some, oh, of that. but yeah, I also, yeah, I, yeah. And I, it's also, it's like the word retirement. Okay. So, you know, I hate that word. And I think, you know, there's a lot of concepts that we have in today's financial world that are way outdated, you know, and they go back over a hundred years. And, you know, so I, I prefer to say financially independent. And the reason is it's interesting. And you know, I know you have, you know, parents, you know, um, fathers, um, um, mothers, you know, both ends, even though this is a, this is, you know, a bunch of fathers here talking here today. Um, but it's interesting, Paul, when I got to the point where I didn't have to work anymore, I was actually very anxious and people may be like, Oh, boo hoo, Chris, like you don't have to go to work and you're feeling anxious about this, but it's really interesting when you go through life and you dedicate, you know, in my case, it was six years of school and 18 years of being a professional. So a quarter of a century, you know, and I'm here, I'm 38, 40 ish years old and 25 years of my life. So basically my entire adult life, I've spent working to get to the point where I'm at and defining myself around that. And I, you get up and you say, well, Hey, I'm not going to go to work and be, um, a, a sales leader or, you know, I'm not going to be whatever. If you're listening to whatever it is, think about yourself in that position. When you say, Hey, I'm not going to define myself as that tomorrow as a father, as a husband, as a provider for our family, as, as a male in U.S. society, we define ourselves a lot by what we do. And it really kind of scared me to think, hey, what if I'm not needed tomorrow? So it caused me to look in the mirror, to really be introspective. And I worked with my coach at the time. We actually did a hike out in the woods and he guided me through this meditation, which maybe sounds a little frou-frou to some people. But being able to go inside my own mind and say, hey, what am I really meant to do? Kind of getting back to those questions that we talked about and thinking about how I could live a bigger, more impactful life. It helped to alleviate that anxiety. And that's what drives me today. So now I'm, I'm able to devote my time to something that's very meaningful and important to me. And I don't feel like I'm working. 
you know, so to your point, you know, it's, um, you know, it, it feels good to be organically driven every day. Um, but also as you, if you get to that point in life, you know, any transition, it's, I, you know, I think it's, it's safe to admit to people that, Hey, it's, it's just, even if it's a positive stress in your life, it's still a stress and you have to be prepared to deal with that. And then ultimately challenge yourself because I don't want to sit around and not do anything, you know, for the next 80 years of my life. And yep, I'm in my forties. I plan to live, um, to see, uh, to, to my life insurance policies endowed 120. So, um, there you go. Got to think, <laughs> got to think big. You, you, you do. So it, it, you're talking, you retired at 38, but yet you have a company next level income and you're coaching people. So you're really retired. I, I guess it's the definition of retirement. I didn't extent, say retire. Right? Paul said retire. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, <laughs> That's yeah. true. That's true. Yeah, I always, I always use retire in quotes and I get people are like, oh, you're not really retired. And I was like, that's why if you always, if you always read, it'll, it'll say retired in quotes because I actually don't use the word retire. We always talk about financial independence. Yeah. Okay. So, so tell us about next level income. Yeah. So next level income started, we started syndicating real estate. So if you're listening, you've, you've not heard the word syndication before. It's basically just bringing a group of investors together to buy a property. We started doing this in 2015, my first partner and I, so about seven years ago. But what I realized was there's a lot of people that wanted to know like, Hey, this is cool. You have, you know, you're, you're, you're looking at these properties to buy and you have these properties that you have producing cash flow. but like, what got you there? So I started to have conversations, Paul, I started talking to people and they said, Hey, like, what did you do? What was your first property? What about, you know, this question or that question? Do I contribute to my 401k? Right? Like how much do I keep in cash? And I started writing blog articles about what I did. And, you know, I tried to study the rich, like the ultra rich, you know, like Dave Ramsey's mm. great, but he gives advice for poor people. And some people may like their jaws may have just dropped open, but you know, if you're not making a hundred thousand dollars or more in this country, you're, you're poor in a sense. You know, I try to teach people how the, the ultra rich do it. And it's like, if you, okay, you don't have to be worth a hundred million dollars, but if you act and operate like hundred million dollar families do, you're probably going to be better off than if you operate on, you know, somebody that's planning to live on social security, right? We're talking about abundance, not scarcity, abundance, not scarcity. And Dave Ramsey teaches a scarcity mindset. Unfortunately, I teach an abundance mindset and that's what next level income is all about. It's about education, teaching people how they can live a life of financial abundance, which ultimately leads, leads towards a life of full abundance because you can devote yourself to things that are truly meaningful to you, right? If you have the ability to write a check for it, that's not a problem for you. Make sense? If you can write a check mm -hmm. for it, it's not a problem. And for you younger listeners, if you could Venmo the money, then it's not a problem for you, right? <laughs> um, and then also we have, so we have, um, as, as we say, we provide opportunities um, through education as well as um, investment opportunities to achieve financial independence. So that's kind of the other side of the business. And if you want to learn about that, if you go to the website, there's an invest link and you can apply to learn more about what we do on the investment side. But really it's about empowering people um, through education and those opportunities. Wow. Very, very, very cool. Um, you, you triggered a bunch of thoughts and, um, I'm trying to figure out how to word them to you right now, Chris, but it, it's, so you have to write a check potentially, or if you can write the check, that's great. And the mindset 
listening to you about Dave Ramsey saying, oh, he teaches the, the one mindset where you're teaching the other. Uh, but to get to yours, you need to have those buckets of money to do something with and, and get started, right? So um, you don't, you don't. So, and that's, oh, that's another, okay. that's, yeah. So that's another um, common fallacy, right? So I wasn't, look, my father passed away when I was young. My grandmother made, made my clothes for me. We ate food out of cans. My first property I bought with less than $3,000. So, you know, yeah, you need, you need resources, but you don't have to have the money. There is, there is money everywhere. And there are people that will help you. If you need money, people will partner with you. But you've, the first thing you need to have, Paul, is you need to have the mindset. Okay. You have to have the mindset. You have to start with that abundance mindset and you have to surround yourself with people that have that same abundance mentality. And that's, it's a big problem in the world today. You know, we pit one, one group against another and it's like, oh, like if, if, uh, you know, these people don't pay you enough, then you can't do the, this thing. There's, there's money everywhere. There are resources everywhere. You know, it's like, um, it's like college. It's like, oh, you know, we have to, everybody deserves an education with the internet. You can learn anything that you want, just like this show. You know, there's so much information out there. And the problem isn't that we don't have enough. It's that we have too much and we needed to learn what are the proper areas to focus on with that focus, whether you're an athlete or you're a student or you're a professional, or you're a parent with that focus, you can be successful. Yeah. There's a lot of great pieces there to unpack, uh, Chris, mm -hmm. and I'm going to dial it back to, and I, I think I read this as well, where you managed to buy your first multifamily home at the age of 21 with only $3,000 in the bank. So that proves your point that it can be done with very little resources. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. If you could elaborate on how you yeah. did that, because that would probably be the blueprint that people are looking for. Yeah. So, you know, people ask, and that was a, it was a townhouse. So it wasn't, um, it wasn't an apartment at that point, but I was, I just started buying, um, single family rentals, but I can tell that story. I can also tell, so I got a story. I have a younger, younger gentleman. He called me, because somebody may say, well, Chris, that's not realistic. You bought that in 1997, right? And okay, so let's, let's take a, a story today. So I had a younger gentleman call me. He said, hey, Chris, my wife and I, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to get to this point where, like you were saying, Paul, we have these buckets of money. You know, we're trying to create other cash flow streams. And, you know, I, I said, well, I asked him some questions and they just bought this house. And he had a kind of like a, a rundown um, garage or barn on the property. Well, we live in Western Carolina and there's a lot of tourism, tourists that come here. And he's like, Hey, we're looking at buying a rental property. And I said, and he's telling me, I was like, well, what, what do you have now? He's like, well, we, we just bought a house and he's telling me about the property. I said, what are you doing with that old, that old barn? And he said, oh, I don't know. We might tear it down. I said, well, that sounds like a pretty cool, you know, structure there. What if you converted that to like a short-term rental, almost like, um, like, like glamping, right? So he spent about 20, they saved $25,000, young couple, converted it, and now it's a short-term rental and it pays their expenses on their property. It pays for their mortgage, right? So, you know, 20, 30 years ago, 1997, that strategy wouldn't have worked. There was no Airbnb, but today there are short-term rentals. You can do, there's platforms, you can do co-housing, co-living. So you can like put your property onto a website and have roommates that come in and, and pay your mortgage for you. So again, you don't have to have a lot of money to do that. 
you could have somebody, a friend of yours that says, Hey, you know, I want to, I want to be your roommate. And you're like, well, Hey, why don't we do a profit split, Paul? Like, why don't I rent out your house for you? I'll manage it. And we'll split the profit 50, 50, or maybe let me live, you know, rent free. Um, we have two Airbnbs on our property. Some people may say, Hey, that's not like, I don't want people on my property. Okay. Well, you know, if depending on, on how you want to handle your finances, sometimes you have to make, you know, sacrifices or again, think a little bit differently. Um, but my story, I had my mom co-sign on the loan. So she didn't have a lot of money to give me, but she had the ability, she had good credit. So she was able to co-sign on that loan. And then I bought her out of that, out of her stake in that uh, several years later. You just triggered some thoughts that um, I had recently uh, in the discussion with a family member um, in this around the same thing, right? So I was looking at um, a piece of property and I'm in full transparency. I don't have any investment property, but I'm starting to look at it. We have a, a awesome. friend of ours from college that's been doing a lot of stuff in this space and it kind of prompt the energy to kind of take a look at some of this stuff. Um, I started taking a look at it and when I spoke to him, I looked at it through one lens and I'm thinking, okay, you could do this, this, but to your point, he came up with a whole different thought process in terms of creative strategy on how he could take that and squeeze as much rental income out of the property, which I was yeah. like, wow, never thought of that. Right. Which was yeah. amazing. Right. And I don't want to bore everyone with the details, but you're right. It's, you have to have those creative thoughts in your mind when it comes to making those types of decisions, right? Like you yeah. said, Airbnb wasn't here 10 years ago. If you, if you told someone 10 years ago that you're going to rent out your, the room above your garage on a semi, you know, as a, as a hotel, they'd be like, you're crazy. Right. But now exactly. it's the norm. Right. <laughs> and now it's, yeah. it's very common. So, yeah. and that kind of leads to my other question. So um, I know that there's this concept of, of, of buy and hold, right. And, and investing and holding. Um, I believe that also uh, when I was researching, you talk a little bit about flipping and I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about your experience with flipping real estate. And then another question on, on top of that, which I believe ties is how come former athletes make the best real estate investors? Yeah. So um, I, let, let's start with that real quick and then I'll talk about kind of, um, you know, some of the, some strategies that are out there with, with real estate. So, um, I always loved when I was hiring people, I love, I love athletes. I love military because, you know, you have people that have two things. They have discipline and they have the ability to, uh, you know, to, to train and plan for the future or delayed gratification. And that's what investing is, right? If you think about money, money is a store of, of value, but how do we get money? We typically trade our time for money, right? That's how most of us um, create money at some point. So money is really a store of our life force, if you think about it. And if you're trading, say, energy as an athlete to train and you're kind of digging yourself a hole, you know, you're trading your time, you're training your energy for a future result. And investing is the same way. So I think a lot of athletes understand, hey, I'm going to set this plan up and I'm going to peak for this event you know, three months, six months, a year in the future, the Olympics, four years in the future. You know, that's what investing is. Um, I like to call real estate a get rich slow strategy. So, you know, ultimately, you know, you can create fast money with real estate by doing something like flipping Paul. So, you know, I've, I've, I've tended towards the buy and hold side where um, we do what's called value add. So it's kind of like midterm holds. So we're holding properties like three to five years. We're kind of increasing their value 
And once the value is maximized, we'll sell the property and then we'll, we'll repeat the strategy with another property. Um, this is one of my favorite strategies. If you're getting started, you can buy a fixer upper that you can live in. So let's say you can buy a $400,000 property. And if you put $50,000 into it, it can be worth $500,000. I'm just using round numbers. It may be different in your area of the country, but $400,000 property, um, it's worth 500 if you put 50 into it. That means you're doubling. You're going from four to $500,000 with 50. You can double the amount of money. If you sell that, if you live in it for two years and sell it, so do kind of a you know, longer flip over two years, you can keep that money tax-free. You know, and that's something, again, if you don't like the idea of renting your house out, you can live in it. You can improve it while you're in there. It's a strategy that works wonderfully um, for newer investors as well. There's also a strategy called bird dogging where you go out and you find properties. And again, there's, there's been people on our podcast, uh, which you can listen to at nextlevelincome.com um, that talk about this strategy, but you can develop a system to find properties. And then you can go to um, somebody like maybe you guys are looking for a, a fixer upper and they I say, hey, guys, I found this property. You know, it's going to be worth $500,000, but this person needs to sell it for whatever reason. And they're willing to sell it for $300,000. And you may say, well, that's crazy, but there are people that need to sell for different reasons. And I know people that have made a career out of bird dogging, wholesaling these properties and doing that. You can create, you know, I know people that are creating, you know, multiple six figures of income in just finding these sorts of properties and flipping them. And you know, if you can create another $50,000 a year, then what can you do with that? You can invest, you can do things. And that's why when we talk about the next level income strategy, we first talk about make more money, keep more money, then grow your money. So we always talk about how can you maximize the amount of money you're making first and what are some strategies? And you can use real estate as one of those strategies to make more money as well. Wow, that, there's a lot there. Um, personally, for, for, for me, even like, you know, I was looking at buying another place to, to rent it out as well. Or... Yeah. I have an opportunity and some of our listeners know this where, you know, I, I can add an, a uh, bedroom or office bathroom combo on my old porch, which is kind of a bit of a mess. I can leave it as a porch and it's fine. But if I want to make it into an office room or a bedroom, okay, it's going to cost me uh, a lot of money to do. Say it costs me, I'm going to go crazy. Say it's a hundred grand to do, right? Sure. But, you know, speaking with a real estate friend, that would add, you know, perhaps 75% on top of that hundred grand to do it. So is it worth doing that or do I buy a property? So it is interesting hearing yeah. some of this as to different investment strategies. And I appreciate yeah. that. I, I do want to switch gears though a little bit. Sure. Okay. And, and maybe it ties into it. Uh, cause I don't know where you're going to go with it necessarily, but <laughs> tell us a little bit about the angel investing, you know, what is it, what's your experience in that space? Yeah. So it's something I, I I don't do as much as I did five years ago because the real estate business has grown tremendously. But mm. um, yeah, I've always, you know, a lot of people said, well, hey, Chris, when, you know, when did you start investing in real estate so you could leave your career? And I tell people I was an investor before I got into the medical space. So I always wanted to be an investor, Paul. Um, I talked about financial independence and doing that. And you know, there's, I read over 250 books kind of on my journey to kind of put my strategy together. But part of it was I wanted to be able to look at some of these high return investments and angel investing is high, highly, highly risky, but there's some significant returns that can be had, but it takes a lot of due diligence because you really have to figure out, um, you know, does the company make sense? Does the product make sense? Does the market make sense? Does the team make sense? Lots of different factors. 
um, takes a lot of time. And with the amount of deal flow we have now on the real estate side, I can't quite keep up with the due diligence that I used to on that. But uh, it's very, very interesting. It's a nice complement to something that's kind of slow and steady and boring, like the real estate that we do. <laughs> yeah. So I want to go back to real estate now. Sorry, listeners, but because something came into my head that I probably should have asked you before the angel investing one. And that is the the market, um, especially in certain parts of the country, are just, you know, yeah growing exponentially, you know, double digit percentages every year in cost. Uh, and now interest rates are, are going up and the Fed's mm -hmm. raising them. They're going to raise them again soon. You know, how do you go about finding that, that, that bird dog property, that wholesale property? I, I'm sure a lot of folks would be interested in understanding where do you get started on that? Is it just a Google search? Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to learn more about a specific strategy, again, I encourage you to check out our podcast. Um, Laura, uh, Alamory, I'm, I'm, I'm probably mispronouncing her, her name, but she was just on the podcast. I think it was episode 101. Um, and she talks about some of these different strategies about how do you go out? How do you build a system to find these properties? Um, look, one of my favorite things is that the opportunity of a lifetime comes along every day. And today what happens is we think linearly. All right. So I'm an mm -hmm. engineer. We talk about linear. We talk about curvilinear, um, Real estate goes in cycles. It's not linear. So if you've only been investing for 10 years and you look back, you are in for some trouble ahead. If you, if you fa factor um, only the past 10 years into your investment thesis and, and plans, if you look at real estate, you go all the way back to 1850s, since we started tracking this in this country, real estate goes in 18 and a half year cycles. So we are coming towards the end of this 18 and a half year cycle. We have about three more years left. This is the best and the worst time to invest in real estate. It's the best because this is where the biggest gains are made. There's huge gains to be made at this point. Like you've been saying, like, it's like, wow, real estate's been going up. Go back 18 years, early 2000s, you can hear the exact same thing. And the strategies that worked then did not work in 2012 because you couldn't get financing. You couldn't do a lot of these things. So number one, Listen to episode 100 on my podcast. You'll learn about the real estate cycles and you can learn about what strategies work in this period. Um, but then also pick a strategy and then you can go and say, okay, what, what makes sense in this market? Flipping makes sense in this market. Wholesaling makes sense in this market. Um, you know, uh, you can... You can do development. I love value add because you can actually control the value of your investments. I love cash flow real estate. If you get too speculative at this point in time, you can get run over um, by that truck when the uh, when the economy turns. Mm. Yeah, that is interesting. When you start talking about kind of the returns and the cash flows and stuff like that, I've been looking at some stuff lately. And, and to your point, the, the opportunities come. You know, the lifetime ones probably come every day. You really have to have that keen eye to find them because a lot of them are not there, right? And when you start running the math closely on these properties, um, you know, that are generally listed kind of, you know, you really don't yeah. see the cash flow and you kind of have to move on yeah. and, and go to the next yeah. one and the next one. And then eventually, like you said, yeah. you'll hit the mark where you find that. Um, I got two questions for you and they're both very different questions. One is, and I had asked this of our, our friend Dave. Um, with all your rental experience, like, have you had any real horror stories when it comes to a renter? And then a completely unrelated question. How do you balance family and business? You have a lot going on. You have your family. I know you say, quote unquote, you're retired. 
now I get it. You're not quite retired, <laughs> but you are enjoying what you're doing, but you still have to balance that enthusiasm and everything you're doing and the passion for this business with your family. So if you can answer Absolutely. both those questions, I'd appreciate it. Yeah. So horror story. So, um, and then we can talk about, yeah, like uh, balance. So I, you know, I've been fortunate. Um, I don't have any, any true horror stories. Um, but I have one that I was a part of. So my, my father, my stepfather bought a property here in Asheville, North Carolina, and he didn't screen his tenants. Okay. Like financially didn't run a credit check. And look, if you're going to do any of this, you got to run it like a business. You, the last thing you want to do is have somebody that you, you don't know. Well, this guy was a felon and he, he, he hit a woman. Um, I don't think intentionally, but he hit a woman that was walking, killed her and he had an arrest warrant out. So lo and behold, he ends up in jail and I actually read the story, but uh, you know, my father's telling me, Oh, this guy's in jail. He can't pay the, the rent. And I'm like, what the heck is going on here? I looked into it and this, this had happened before he started renting the house. And I just said, are you like, what the heck are you doing? And he was, he asked my wife to help with this. And I said, I'm, I was like, I'm not going to let her help you with tenants anymore. Like you got, you're not even doing background checks. And it, it shocked me. Okay. So that was, that was horrific for me to hear that my wife was here walking into a house, showing it to somebody that my stepfather hadn't done a background check on. Um, and that's to me, that's, uh, that's terrible. So Lo and behold, he ends up replacing, you know, these people. Um, they have somebody come into the property. And by the way, I don't own resident. I don't own these residential properties anymore. I've sold all mine off. We do commercial now. And this is a big reason why I don't want to deal with this stuff. Um, but the, the uh, renter that came in behind them, um, there was a leak in the, the dishwasher. And it leaked for months. Leaked through the ceiling. Grew a ton of mold. They, they exit. He comes in. He does the inspection. He's like, wow, there's like, there's a big leak here. He goes underneath. He sees this mold. Six months it took to repair to get somebody in there to do it. Six months without income. So yeah, that was, again, there's, there's a lot of things you can do to avoid those situations. Um, like run, run your real estate investment like a business, you know, treat it like a business, do all the right things. Um, but that was, uh, that's, you know, there's, I've got a lot of stories from a lot of different friends and different people. Um, but that's about as close as, as you can get to, uh, to me there. Um, but then when it comes to balance, so, you know, again, going back to the athlete analogy. So if we say, okay, um, you know, why did I hire athletes? Why do athletes make good investors? Um, you look at athletes, if you said, Hey, how do you train You're a professional athlete? How do you train? They don't train the same way every day, right? Like on game day, they're not going to do the same training. Now, Jordan, you could say, well, Jordan still trained like six hours a day. You know, he's, he, he's a freak, but Jordan still went in cycles, right? You have, you have effort and you have recovery. And it's the same thing with your family. So I think if you look at, at life as, as cyclical, it ebbs and flows. Um, I used to juggle. Like in middle school, I, I juggled a lot with a buddy. Um, yeah, I'm super cool. Like I was in the marching band. I juggled and I was in math club. So I'm super cool. Um, but uh and when you juggle, if one of those balls is glass, you know, so let's say you got five balls, you have, um, you have health, you have your family, you have your friends, you have your business, you have, um, you know, you know, fun stuff that you like to do, right? Some of those balls are glass. You cannot drop that. Your family, your health, you know, you cannot drop those balls in your life. So what do you do? You prioritize, you prioritize. So when I, when I lay out my schedule, Paul, what I do is I have, so for instance, 
Um, we look last week and I say, okay, you know, I have my workouts on there. I have the trip. I coach my son's cycling team at his school. So I have, I have that trip on there. You know, I prioritize that. I block it off. Then I fill my time in around that with anything work-related. And what that does is, again, going back to the concepts um, that we talked about, focus is, is key, right? So if I, can, if I say I'm going to work 30 hours a week, what am I going to do in those 30 hours? I'm, I'm probably going to accomplish everything that I need to get done in that amount of time because I have a limited amount of time. When I was training, when I was still racing my bicycle and I was working and I was on call, people would be like, man, I just don't have the time to train and compete in these like pro-am events like you do. And I'm like, well, how much do you train? I train 15 hours a week. I'm like, well, I trained seven hours a week. How could I get by with seven hours of training? And the answer was focus. So when I would do my workouts, they would be very focused, very intense. So then if you have a limited amount of time, when you're with your family, turn your phone off. When you are when I'm, when you're recording a podcast, I have the office doors shut. My, my boys are downstairs watching, you know, a little bit of TV right now because it's the weekend. So it's like, you can, you have to segregate and focus. If you're trying to balance everything all at the same time and blend stuff in here and there, it, it doesn't work. Cause you're trying, it's like trying to catch all the balls when you're juggling, hold them all at the same time. You can't do that. Sometimes they have to be in the air. You're very focused on the ones in your hands at the time. And the other ones, you just have to you have to let them float and be confident that they're going to land where they're, they need to be when they need to do it. Um, hopefully that analogy makes sense. That was a wonderful analogy. I, I love it. And I think I heard something around the uh, juggling glass balls uh, one of the times. Some, some <laughs> word is some other way. So it, it definitely yeah. resonates and it's always wonderful to hear, to hear that. So uh, one, we have two questions. We, we merge them into one now kind of that we'd love to ask all of our guests now. So what is the biggest financial mistake you've made and what's the single best piece of advice you've received? Um, what was the first question there, Paul? I didn't catch the Sure. The sorry. The, yeah. What is the biggest financial mistake you've made? Mistake. Got it. Um, yeah. So, um, diversifying is, is, um, is, is probably like kind of a, a piece around that, but, um, I think the biggest mistake that people make, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of answer this question in a roundabout fashion, um, is putting your faith in traditional retirement planning, like people like maxing out your 401k. So hear me out on this. Mm -hmm. If you put all your money in your 401k, you have to wait until you're at least 59 and a half to quote unquote retire to get that money penalty free, right? How much money do you need to retire? I just saw, I just saw a um, statistic this morning. Millennials think that you need $300,000 to retire. That's it. That's crazy. Like, good luck. You know, there's, yeah. Yeah. So like, I don't know where they came up with that number. Um, but how much money do you need to retire? How much income is that going to be producing? When can you get access to that money? What is your tax rate going to be in the future? If you put money into a qualified retirement plan, you are inherently believing that your tax rate will be lower in the future. Let me explain. If you... If your tax rate's 20% today and it's 20% in the future and you earn 10%, it doesn't matter if you invest that money pre-tax or if you invest that money post-tax. If you're paying today or in the future, it's the exact same amount of money. Retirement planning is based on, I, I said, century-old concepts, right? We think that we're going to make less money in the future 
or we think tax rates are going to go down in the future. Otherwise, it makes no sense to put money into a traditional retirement plan. This is where Dave Ramsey, you can, you know, he can come argue with me, which I'm sure he doesn't listen to me. Um, he doesn't need to. He makes too much money. And he probably doesn't follow his own advice, by the way. But the point is, who, who on earth thinks that our tax rates in this country are going down? So that means you think you're going to make less money in the future. Again, now we're talking about scarcity mindset versus abundance. See how we come back around? So the biggest mistake that people make goes back to that mindset. They think in a scarce mindset, and then they seek information that supports that scarcity thought process, which is, hey, I'm going to go listen to people that talk about investing through a 401k and do that instead of listening to people that talk about creating passive income streams that cover your expenses, that provide comfort and certainty on a month, monthly basis that allow you to go and live live your best life. So that is, you know, that's the biggest mistake I think people make. And it took me too long to figure that out. That's why I wrote my book, take, take the shortcut, don't spend 15 years doing it like I did. Um, and then that's probably the biggest, you know, the biggest, most important piece of advice, um, you know, is, is taking control, right? Like saying, okay, you know, um, I, I started putting money into, into cash value life insurance. And this is, again, this is what, this is what rich people do. So it's like a Roth for rich people. And I have access to that money. I mean, I wish, again, I wish I did it a lot bigger, a lot more earlier on, but you know, this is how people used to plan before there were mutual funds and qualified retirement plans and all that. Um, and I think, you know, whether it's, whether it's diet, whether it's health, whether it's finances, we can learn a lot by going back 100, 150 years and seeing what people did back then and seeing if it applies today. And in a lot of cases, it still does. Wow, that's, that's great. Uh, very insightful and thoughtful. Uh, it, it's interesting. We, we did have a guest on not too long ago. Um, name is Bernard. I'm trying to remember the episode number where we talk about how you can actually use your 401k money that you have locked up and do it as an investment. It's called an IRS robs. Uh, it's very technical. Don't do it alone. Yeah. You need a professional to do that, but it is a, yeah. a good episode to almost, I guess what I'm I thinking of one, conceptually. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So merging yeah. the two worlds is how I'm thinking of it right now. Yeah. So, yeah. So if you're, if you are investing in your 401k and you get a match, like that's, that's nice, right? It's nice to get the match up to a degree, but if you don't get a match, ask yourself why you're maxing out your 401k. And you say, Hey, Chris, I don't have any money to go buy an investment property. I just talked to a friend. He's a financial advisor, makes a lot of money every year. And he's, he's putting an extra $50,000 into his retirement accounts every year. Well, that 50K could easily go out and make a real estate investment on an annual basis easily. So you know, mm -hmm. chances are there's a lot of money that you have floating around out there. I love to pay yourself first, as you guys were talking about in the lead up to the show today. Um, I, I talk about Institute of Savings Tax, you know, start putting that money aside. It might take you a few years to build up that, that capital nest egg to go buy that first property or make that first cash flow investment. But chances are that money's out there. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. And thanks for doing the show with us today. I, we usually end the show with uh, kind of a summary recap. Um, and I'll, I'll start, then Paul go, and then we'll give you the last word in terms of plugs and takeaways and final thoughts. Uh, for me, I, I love the concept and I've heard it before, but it resonated once again, get rich slow when it comes to real estate. Um, I love your Dave Ramsey insights. Um, you know, I can't dispute 
them. You know what I mean? Um, I, I was, um, but I do credit Dave's seven baby steps to getting me kind of, I'm going to call it phase one, if that makes absolutely. sense. Right. Yeah, and and I think that that was critical and it resonated. He was the only uh, person at the time that recommended paying your mortgage off. And I'm, no, I'm not going to fight about this concept on this show. Um, it's too late in the podcast to talk about that. I know you guys are biting at your chomp, chomping at the bit to rip me apart on that. But I still believe that, you know, I, that's why I followed his his baby steps because he was the only one at the time who touted that principle. And then the third one, I think, is bird dogging, right? So this whole idea of I didn't realize that's what it was that it's called, but it's insightful that, you know, um, it is a real thing that you could do in order to, you don't need any money to do it. You just need to have that keen eye, do your due diligence and research. You could be, you can make money in real estate without investing in real estate. So I thought that was wonderful. Absolutely. Paul, I'll hand it off to you next. Yeah, the, the, the bird dogging or wholesaling is very interesting. I've been looking into that myself personally, but the juggling with the glass balls, I, I still love that analogy. Um, that's really wonderful. Thank you for reminding me of that. It sometimes helps to have something like that to reground you, right? There's, I always feel like I personally do have a lot of balls in the air and uh, got to balance it. And then you have to think about investing as delayed value, sort of some, the way you worded it, something like that, um, and the analogy to sports athletes. So I, that was really helpful. It's a great mental picture. And I think that's how a lot of people learn. You know, painting that mental picture yeah. is a great way to do it versus just words. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So first off, I acknowledge Paul, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, wealth and creating wealth is a stepwise process. So if you're training for a marathon, you're just not like, Hey, I'm going to go follow this marathon training program. If, if you haven't run in years. Right. And Dave Ramsey does a phenomenal job of helping people get, get to that first level and get ready, you know, get your financial house in order, if you will. Um, and, but once you're there, then you have to say, okay, terrific. You know, now I've got the base built. How do I get to that next level? And that's where, that's where we try to come in with our resources. So, um, and you can actually listen to my podcast on, on whether or not I think you should pay off your mortgage. But the great thing is if, if you're going down that path, you've already put all these discipline pieces in place to give you the necessary steps to go to that next level. Um, I'm just going to summarize with a bunch of resources we have for free on our website. Um, the book, nextlevelincome.com, click on the book link. Um, we didn't even get to the special resource that I put together um, for parents that are listening today called Five Ways to Set Your Kids Up um, for Financial Success. Uh, but if you go to nextlevelincome.com forward slash kids, you'll see the five steps that we use in our family to help teach our kids to be money pros. Uh, we got the podcast, we got the blog, everything out there is there for free for you to learn from. Um, I love what you guys are doing, Paul and Paul, and hopefully uh, the website, the resources in this conversation can uh, help anyone listening here today get to your personal next level. Awesome. Thank you, Chris. And, and one last thing, uh, we have a favor we'd like to ask our listeners. Uh, please go to YouTube and search for Financial Dads and please subscribe to our channel. We would really appreciate it. Uh, well, Paul and Chris, I thoroughly enjoyed our discussion today, and I'm personally looking forward to the next one. Thanks, everyone, for downloading our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at financialdads at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook. Just go to financialdads.com. So with that, this is Paul and Paul reminding you 
Managing finances can be stressful, but that's why the Financial Dads are here to help you plan for success. Have a good one, everybody. Be well, and thank you. 